0: Well, welcome to Church Online, and it's a privilege just now to take you to the Scripture, uh, which we believe is the Word of God. Now, God knows you, and uh, God is with you right now. Let's ask God to meet with us just now. Father, thank you so much. You know our lives, you have a plan for us, and my God, I believe you're a speaking God. I ask just now, as we unpack the Scripture, just like you always do, would you just take what we're hearing and Transform our lives. Speak into our hearts. We ask this, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to take you to actually the last words of the Apostle Paul. This is the the end of the great Apostle Paul's life. The last recorded words he wrote, Second Corinth, sorry, Second Timothy, chapter four. But before I do that, let me talk to you about famous last words. Here's a few that I came across. Uh, He's probably just hibernating. I <laughs> thought was funny. Pull the pin and count to what? Which wire is I supposed to cut? I wonder where the mother bear is. Famous last words. Uh, are these the good kind of mushrooms? And uh, this is my favourite one. What duck? <laughs> duck. But the Apostle Paul thankfully had much more profound things to say than any of those. And in this Great statement of the Apostle Paul. It's not just his, his final recorded words. He also is bearing his soul. He's describing a sense of being abandoned. And here we are in lockdown, and maybe some of you feel abandoned and isolated. And um, my title, if you want one today, is Abandoned But Not Alone. Come with me to Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 16 onwards. Paul says, at my first defence, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me may it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed to all the Gentiles and all the Gentiles might hear it. I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. So, let me give you some context, just because when you understand the context, the verses carry a bit more punch. Paul is in prison. In fact, he's in a dungeon in Rome. Now, this is the second time he's been a prisoner in Rome. You remember, if you've read the book of Acts, Acts chapter 28 ends with Paul under house arrest in Rome, awaiting trial before the emperor. Now, we understand after the book of Acts from church history that he stood trial and he was acquitted. And Paul then went so church history says and preached the gospel and went as a missionary to Spain and then after being in Spain he returned back and then he was rearrested and this time he was taken not to a house where he was under house arrest but this time he was taken to a dungeon in Rome and it's from this dungeon just weeks before he died that he pens these words we've just read Um, now he had a Roman trial and the first hearing that Paul is referring to the preliminary examination was to formulate the precise charges against the prisoner and when paul was brought for the preliminary examination he describes that none of his friends or so-called friends stood with him they abandoned him because by that point nero who was the roman emperor nero was a violent madman he had already killed multiple thousands of christians in the most barbarous ways and so, this is Nero, and Paul's in a dungeon, awaiting to stand trial before Nero, and boy, was it dangerous to be a Christian. So, you can certainly understand, but none of Paul's friends, they abandoned him when he kind of most needed them. And Paul, after this point, was sentenced to death. He was beheaded. And actually, about a month after that, Nero himself committed suicide. The end of the Apostle Paul. How's he feeling? <laughs> How would you be feeling? Well, he's feeling abandoned. I mean, he's feeling utterly abandoned. He says in verse 16, At my first defence, no one came to support me. Everyone deserted me. Kind of when he most needed them, they deserted him. See, isolated isn't good. Because as human beings, being isolated, we're relational creatures. We're created in God's image, who is a trinity. He's within relationship within himself. He's a community within himself. We were created for community. We were created for relationship. We don't do well in isolation. Isolation is bad, but abandonment, that's a whole nother level. You see, abandonment is isolation plus rejection. And that carries with an added pain. And that's what Paul was feeling. Paul was all, how is he also, here's how he also was feeling. He was aware he's about to die. He kind of, he kind of sensed. I'm not going to get released after this prison. This is not going to be a dramatic escape. I'm going to enter God's presence. And we know that. If you go back in a few verses before the ones we read, it says in verses six and seven, the time for my departure is near, he says. I fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Okay? So here's Paul. He knows I'm about to die. And in, in this year that we've lived in, many people, they died alone. They died alone. And, and the tragedy of, of lockdown has been that many people... D- struggling in hospitals literally couldn't have any of the nearest and dearest near them and many of you have experienced that terrible situation where a loved one in a nursing home or a loved one in in hospital he can't go near them because of the lockdown so let me give you four keys from the apostle Paul here to get you through that sense of abandonment that some of you do and have faced through your lives number one know he's with you This is what it says in verse 16 and 17. Everyone deserted me, but the Lord stood by my side. And this was a common thing for Paul. Not just at the end of his life, but all through his life, he had experiences of the Lord standing by his side. Let me give you some examples. Acts 18, when Paul was in Corinth, this is what the Bible says. Verse 9. One day the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision Don't be afraid, keep on speaking, do not be silent. I'm with you. No one is going to attack you and harm you. And then we see Paul in prison in Jerusalem. Acts 23 verse 11, that following night, the Lord, no, the following night, the following night after a riot (laughs) where Paul nearly lost his life, the following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, you'll also testify about me in Rome. And then in Acts 27, we see in a a ship, on a a ship, in a storm, we see Paul having a God encounter. It says in Acts 27, verse 23, Last night an angel of the Lord, to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So here's Paul at the end of his life, literally weeks, the last days of his life. He's saying, the Lord stood with me. I want to encourage you. Don't wait till the last days of your life to have a God encounter. Paul had God. Yes, he had a God encounter then. He had God encounters all the way through his life. Live with God. Die with God. Live forever with God. Or you live without God and you die without God. You live eternally without God. Boy, you really need an encounter with God. Don't wait till the end before you look for that encounter with God. Paul understood the Lord stands with me all the way through his life. And may that be your testimony from this day forward. Refuse to live another day without God in your life. But you might say, well, Peter, I kind of don't feel like he's near. I I, I do trust Jesus. I am the Lord's. But... I don't feel his presence. Well, the good news is facts are often very different from feelings. <laughs> Whether you feel like he's near or not, he's near. You are never alone. It says in Psalm 46 verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Say that with me. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble he's not just present he's very present when you think he's most not there that's when he's most there when your feelings tell you "Oh, has God gone he's most there he's really present he comes real close just like you would to someone you love when they're going through the hardest of times so I don't care what your feelings tell you fact he's very present help he's with you in your hardest times Love that famous poem, Footprints, by Margaret Fishback Power. So let me read it to you. One night, I dreamed a dream. As I walked across the beach with the Lord, across the dark sky flashed scenes from my life. For each scene, I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to me, one to my Lord. And after every scene of my life flashed before me, I looked back at the footprints in the sand. I noticed that many times along the path of my life, especially at the lowest and saddest times, there was only one set of footprints. <laughs> this just really troubled me. So I asked Lord, I asked the Lord about it. Lord, you said that once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I noticed that during the saddest and most troublesome times of my life, there was only one set of footprints. I don't understand why when I needed you most you would leave me. And he whispered, my precious child, I love you and will never leave you. Never, ever during your trials and testings when you only saw one set of footprints it was then that I carried you. He's a very present help in trouble. That's your first key. Know that he's with you. The second key is this, and this is so, so important. Keep your heart soft. This is what it says in verse 16. Listen to this. You've been abandoned. You're literally facing the trial of your life. Your friends have abandoned you. Listen to this. Everyone deserted me, Paul says. May it not be held against them. And again, some of you feel that. You feel abandoned in lockdown. You feel abandoned by maybe friends maybe you feel abandoned by family maybe your experience growing up was that of abandonment maybe this word abandoned is such a painful word for you because you know what it is to be abandoned abandoned by those when you most needed them to be right beside you abandoned when you were at your lowest what do you do you forgive them how on earth Do you forgive them? Nelson Mandela, uh, who was freed from Robben Island prison in 1990, after his years of struggle for racial justice in South Africa, uh, he said this, as he left the prison, he said this, as I walked out of the door towards the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew that if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I'd still be in prison. It's not just important you forgive. It's essential you forgive. If you allow your heart to get hardened towards people, it will ruin you. It will imprison you. It will devastate you. Now, here's the question I've got. How on earth was the Apostle Paul, and this wasn't just a lightweight abandonment. This was like literally he was facing the trial of his life. How on earth was he able to say, may it not be held against them? As I was reflecting on this, something suddenly dawned on me. I've heard those words before. May it not be held again. Where have you heard those words before in the Bible? In fact, let me give you a clue. When did the Apostle Paul hear those words before? May it not be held against them. I'll tell you when. Before Paul was called Paul, he was called Saul. And he was a persecutor of Christians. And this is the martyrdom of the first martyr recorded in the book of Acts. A godly man by the name of Stephen. Listen to what it says in Acts 7 verse 58. They dragged Stephen out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses lay their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Why did they leave the coats at the feet of the young man named Saul? Well, that that was pointing to the fact that this young man named Saul this young, zealous Jew who thought killing Christians was the thing to honor God with. He was leading the whole mob. He was agreeing to the whole deal. He was leading the proceedings. And he says, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, He fell asleep. Do not hold this sin against them. Stephen's prayer actually was the salvation of Saul. That persecutor, God answered that prayer. Because Saul, who agreed to Stephen's martyrdom within a few chapters, had an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus and got saved. A murderer of Christians got saved by Christ. Incredible. Incredible. Stephen forgave Saul. God forgave Saul. You want to know how Saul, when he felt, how Paul, when he felt so abandoned, was able to say, May the Lord not hold it against him. I'll tell you why. Because yes, he was abandoned. But someone said that about him when he was killing him. How on earth did they get the idea, that radical idea of radical forgiveness, that we could, in the moment of abandonment, say, May the Lord not hold it against you. I don't hold it against you. I forgive you. Where would you get that from? Well, you get it from Jesus. Because the creator God, the God who created the whole world and your life and the the author of life came into life. Jesus was born. He lived a great life and he died on the cross. The creation rejected the creator. And as Jesus was dying on the cross, he cries out. It says in Luke 23, 34, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Here, Jesus, the creator, was praying for our forgiveness as we were rejecting him. That's where this radical idea of forgiveness when you're abandoned comes from. That's where it comes from. C.S. Lewis put it so well. He said this, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Max Lucado put it this way, you will never forgive anyone more than God has already forgiven you. So family will let you down, maybe friends have let you down, maybe your church has let you down and there is no perfect church, but you can forgive. And don't wait to feel like forgiving. That emotion may never come, but it doesn't mean you can't forgive make a decision. Good news, you don't need to wait for your feelings. Don't wait for them to ask for forgiveness. They might never ask. But you can still forgive. Jesus forgave and no one was asking for his forgiveness. And then after doing that, treat them like they're forgiven and walk out your prison and live bitterness free. The third way you deal with abandonment is this. Don't forget your purpose listen to this listen to what Paul says right what's, what's going through Paul's minds knowing that he's got a short time to live listen to what's going through his mind 2nd Timothy 4:17. the Lord stood with me at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it wow here's Paul he's he's in the lowest point he's feeling abandoned and many people when, you, when you're feeling low and when you're feeling abandoned Many people forget the big purpose. Paul didn't. At his point of abandonment, he kept his eyes on the mega purpose, the big purpose. What was his big purpose? Well, let me let me give you an example of a couple of times when Paul stood on trial. In the book of Acts, we see him, right? So in Acts 24, he stands on trial before Felix. In Acts 26, he stands on trial before Agrippa. What does he do both those occasions? He's not there saying, I'm innocent, your honour. No, he's not saying, he's saying, let me tell you about Jesus, Felix. Let me tell you about Jesus, Agrippa. He's using the opportunities to tell the kings and the leaders about Jesus. In fact, that's what the purpose of God for Paul was. Acts 9:15. This man is a cho- my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings. So let me tell you, when Paul stood before Emperor Nero, He was not going to stand up there and plead for his life. That was not his agenda. He was he wasn't thinking, oh, I can't wait to plead for my life. No, he's thinking, I can't wait to stand before Nero, one of the most vicious men planet Earth has ever known, and tell him about Jesus. That's what he's thinking. He's thinking that. Now by this point, Nero was a vicious madman. He had been responsible for the death of multiple thousands of Christians, horrendous deaths. He had tortured them on the rack. He'd gouged out the eyes of Christians. He'd cut off body parts from Christians, roasted the body parts in front of them, and forced them to eat it. He'd fed them to lions. He'd sewed them into skins of wild animals and let his hunting dogs loosen them. He had poured molten lead upon them. He had them crucified. He smeared them with pitch Put them on stakes in his garden and set them on fire to illuminate his garden at night time. Christians burning in his garden. That's where you get the title Roman candle from. That comes from that. That was Nero. And Paul wants to stand before that Nero and tell him what? He wants to tell Nero. In fact, let me just say to you, Paul and Nero had something in common. They'd both killed Christians. And Paul understood I know a God who can forgive killers of Christians. And he wants to stand in front of this ultimate killer of Christians. And tell them this. And he wanted to tell Nero, number one, Nero. Your sins can be forgiven. Because of Jesus' death on the cross. You think, you're kidding me. You're kidding me. Nero's sins? Your sins can be forgiven. Because of Jesus' death on the cross. And Nero. I know you're the king of the known world, but there is a king who's higher than you, and you owe him your full allegiance, and that wouldn't have gone down well. Paul wanted to tell Nero the gospel, and some of you today think, my sins are too big for God to forgive me, but I want to tell you, his blood shed on the cross, Jesus' blood shed on the cross, that crucifixion, that blood, cleanses, every sin. No sinner is too big. There is nothing you have done that cannot be forgiven by God. Some of you have had an affair. God can forgive you and save you. Some of you have aborted your children. God can forgive you completely and save you. You have any idea how robust that cross is, how precious that blood is, How cleansing and effective it is in changing your life. Some of you have had illegitimate sex, and you know what I'm talking about. You can be forgiven and saved. Some of you have been entangled with the occult and got involved with witchcraft and got involved deep in things, and you are tormented as a result. You can be forgiven. You can be saved. Some of you have been abusive. And you forever live with regret. But I've got good news for you. You can be forgiven and saved. Some of you are addicted. And you beat yourself up. Big style over it. You can be forgiven. You can be saved. I love what John Newton. The author of that amazing, amazing grace. He, John Newton used to be a slave trader. He used to sell human beings as if they were animals. And this is what he says. Listen to this quote. He said this. When I get to heaven, I shall see three wonders. First wonder is, there will be many people there that I did not expect to see. Second wonder is this. Uh, Second wonder will be to miss many people who I did expect to see. And the third and the greatest of all will be to find myself there. (laughs) Saved by God's grace. Don't forget your purpose, believers. Believers your sins have been forgiven have you told anyone about him recently i mean paul murderer of christians now is going to stand before the ultimate murderer of christians and tell even nero he died for you as well nero have you told anyone yet have you told anyone recently when's the last time you said hey i've been given a free gift you could have this come on share your faith Tell someone about Jesus. You've been given the greatest gift ever. Would you just give it away? Stop being so quiet about your faith. Something being man, it kind of disrupts polite conversation. I don't care. Get it in there somehow. Be sensitive by all means, but share your faith. And then the fourth way you deal with abandonment is live with eternal perspective. <laughs> this is what Paul goes on to say in verse 18. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Paul understood, I've been abandoned. And to be honest, I'm in a dungeon. And to be honest, I ain't got many days left. But he understood that there was a temporariness about his problems. And folks, your problems will not last. They'll pass, they're temporary. But the good news is if you are the Lord's and he is yours you have an eternal thing to look forward to and a reality that you ain't yet tasted but it what you've tasted up till now is nothing compared to what's coming an eternal reality an eternal perspective and boy does that change you as you're going through the hard temporary situations you might be facing C.S. Lewis put it this way A continual looking forward to the eternal worlds is not as some modern people think a form of escapism or wishful thinking but one of the things a christian is meant to do it does not mean that he will leave this present world as it is if you read history you'll find that christians who did most for this present world were just those who thought most about the next the apostles themselves who set foot upon the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men and women who built up the Middle Ages, the Inge- English Evangelicals who abolished slave labor. All left their mark on the earth precisely because their minds were occupied by heaven. Randy Alcorn writes a fantastic book about heaven entitled 50 Days of Heaven and in it He tells of one of his friends, and I want to read this to you. It's very, very powerful. Her name was Ruthanna Metzgar. She was a professional singer, and she'd been asked to sing at a wedding of a very wealthy man. The wedding reception was to be held on the top two floors of Seattle's tallest skyscraper, Columbia Tower. At the start of the reception, the bride and groom approached the glass, beautiful glass staircase, with a brass balustrade that led to the top floor. Someone ceremoniously cut the satin ribbon, draped across the stairs, and the bride and groom ascended the staircase, followed by their guests. At the top of the stairs, um, at at, at the top of the stairs, outside the door to the great banquet hall, was a maitre d' standing holding a large bound book. He said, may I have your name, please? Uh, It came my turn, and she said, I am Ruth Metzinger, and this is my husband Roy. He searched for the M's. I'm not finding it. Could you please spell it? And she spelled her name slowly. After searching the book, the Major D looked up and said, I'm sorry, your name isn't here. There must be some mistake. Uh, Ruth Anna replied, I'm the singer. I've been asked to sing. The man answered, It doesn't matter who you are or what you did. Without your name in the book, you cannot attend the banquet. He motioned to the waiter and said, please show these people to the service elevator. The Metzingers followed the waiter past beautifully decorated tables laden with shrimp, smoked salmon, and magnificent carved ice sculptures. Adjacent to the banquet area, there was an uh, 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 orchestra preparing to perform. The musicians were dressed in dazzling white tuxedos. Uh, the waiter led ruthanna and Roy to the service elevator and ushered them in and he pressed G for the parking garage downstairs in the basement. After driving several miles in silent, Roy reached over and put his hand on his wife's arm and he said, Sweetheart, what happened? And she said, Well, when the invitation arrived, I was really busy. I never bothered RSVPing, replying and saying that I was coming. Besides, I was a singer, surely. I could go to the reception without having to RSVP. She started to weep. Not only because she had missed the most lavish banquet she'd ever been invited to, but also because she suddenly had a taste, a small taste, of what it would be like to stand before Christ and find that your name had not been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. In order to get to God's banquet, you got to RSVP. And I'm saying that Because I'm saying to some of you today, maybe you're joining us and you and God are not yet connected. And God loves you more than you can ever imagine. And what Jesus did for you on that cross, dying for you and rising again, means that all of your sins, I mean, all of your sins can be wiped out, past, present, future, dealt with by the blood of Jesus. And instead of having hell, you can have heaven, you can have a new life, a relationship with God. That's what God wants for you but he's a gentleman, he won't force it upon you. He waits for your acceptance. He waits for your saying, yes, I really want you in my life. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your love for each and every person today. God, I thank you that you are the eternal God, you are the creator, and God creator, you also became our saviour 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ, you died courageously in our place on the cross and rose again. You experienced ultimate abandonment on the cross so that we would never be abandoned. We would experience eternal acceptance. And boy, does that perspective change our situations when we're facing abandonment on earth. So Lord, for those who feel abandoned, maybe in childhood, maybe in recent year, maybe even just now they feel a sense of abandonment from those who should have known better. I pray, God, would you give them the courage to forgive, not hold on to bitterness, but to may the Lord not hold it against them. I pray, God, help us to not forget our purpose. Help us to not, in the middle of our own sadness, forget the truth we're carrying and the opportunity we have every day to tell people about the greatest news ever. And God, I pray that people will live with the absolute joyous reality that you are with them. And that wouldn't just be a nice thought, That would be a tangible reality, just like it was for Paul, who experienced the Lord standing with him in the hardest times. You're a very present help. And God, I pray, help us to live with that eternal perspective. Not as a form of escapism, but as a way of maximizing our moments on earth for the glory of God. We pray that, God. Now, just take a moment, church. Just pray your own response to God. Make your own decisions before God. While people are doing that, I want to give you an opportunity today. If you and God are not yet connected, I've told you the good news. Your sins can be forgiven. So today, if you're saying, Peter, do you know what? I'm a sinner, but I want to follow Jesus. I want to trust in the one who died and rose again. This, is, this moment's for you. So are you ready to turn away from your sins? Renounce your sins, not hold on to them anymore, but let go of them and say, no, I'm not, I'm not going to follow sin anymore, but with God's help, I'm going to follow Jesus. Are you ready? Are you ready to put your trust in him? And having done that, are you ready to get baptized? Which is the the true sign of every believer. If you are, then pray this prayer with me just now. One line at a time, out loud, repeat after me. Jesus, thank you for dying in my place so that I can be forgiven and have eternal life. I believe you rose from the dead And I confess that I am a sinner. With your help, I turn away from my sinful ways. And I commit to following Jesus for the rest of my life. I declare today that Jesus is Lord of my life. Thank you for hearing my prayer and for saving my soul. Amen.